0: What's up, everybody? Welcome. Welcome to the Comet ML Open Office Hours powered by the artists of data science. I'm super excited to have all of you guys here. It is Sunday, June 11th. I can't believe that it's like already halfway through the year, man. It's It's been been going quick, man. I'm super excited to have all you guys here, uh, whether you are watching on YouTube, on Twitch or live on LinkedIn. If you guys have any questions at all, go ahead and put them in the chat. Also there is a link for you to join us right here in the live room. I would love to have all the guys here joining us. So let's let's kick things off, man. I'm I'm wondering. I was I was thinking about this earlier while I was, you know, doing some dishes this morning, thinking about, you know, what do I find so interesting about data science and about machine learning and not, you know, I figured this would be a great question to kind of kick the hour off with. So I want to know, you guys, what do you find so interesting about machine learning? What kind of drew you to this field? Uh, let's go ahead and start with that uh, with Christoph, and then we'll hear from uh, from Marin. Christoph, what is it about machine learning that you find super interesting? I knew you
1: were gonna pick me. Sorry. <laughs> uh, what I like is that uh, there's a lot of math. Uh, in it, because when I was in high school, I was pretty good at math, and but I never had the idea what I could do with it. And after I just learned how to program, it was like like two years ago, I had no idea about what machine learning meant. I, I knew there was such thing, but I didn't know what it actually meant. And when I discovered that it involves a lot of math and I was like programmer, but never using math skills. That's what, what uh, actually helped me to to choose machine learning. So that's how I started learning because I, I, I thought I could finally use this, I'd say, ability to learn math.
0: Nice. Awesome, man. That's, that's cool. Um, let's hear from Maren. Maren, what about you? What was uh, so interesting about uh, machine learning for you? Uh,
2: I knew that they me up, too. Well, there's, there's not <laughs> well, many that, people in that, the room. There so. are only six people, five expositors. so... Uh, Actually, I'll go in a more general thing. I think a lot of us who are here, and basically engineers and scientists, they like solving puzzles. Uh, We're curious in nature and want to find answers. I mean, we ask a lot of questions and want to find answers. And before, I was happy to, to be solving puzzles, but at some point, my puzzles that I was solving were leading nowhere. They didn't have any outcome tangible outcome and discovering that i'm going to switch a little bit not machine learning so much machine learning is sort for me sort of a tool to achieve something but as a data scientist you can ask a lot of questions and find answers to certain things that are not obvious to to people and that's what drew me to to the field Uh, so solving puzzles in the first place, but puzzles that actually have some impact when, when you find the solution to the puzzle. I
0: absolutely love it, man. There are some great reasons to get in the field. I, I love that nobody mentioned, you know, the fact that we just get paid good money. Like, I, lo- I love that you guys actually came through with, with the real reasons that you're you're interested in it. For me, uh, I just like doing hard things like this. Is it, To me, it's like it's it's difficult to do, but I enjoy doing it because it's fun and it's exciting and it's like like, I just feel like the the return on learning, just the, the acceleration curve just gets, you know, steeper and steeper with every everything that you that I do, at least. So that's one of the main reasons why I love uh, love this field of data science, why I love machine learning it's super interesting. It's super fun. And um, being able to, you know, possibly predict future things like to me, that's like super exciting as well. Um, but yeah, man, super excited to have all you guys here. If you guys have questions, everybody tuning in on LinkedIn, on YouTube, on Twitch please do let me know what your questions are or better yet, join us right here in the room. I'd be happy to have you guys here. Shout out to everybody else in the room. Uh, I see one of my, my friends is here, Nikesh. Nikesh is the uh, mastermind behind the editing and mixing of the Artists of Data Science podcast. So thank you for hanging out, man. Uh, appreciate everything that you do. So let's open it up for for questions. What's up to um, you know, Bharat? Actually, Bharat, we didn't get a chance to hear from you, my friend. So Parth, what is it about uh, machine learning that you find so interesting that kind of drew you to the field.
3: Uh, okay, first off, I'm still sort of transitioning to the machine learning field. I'm still working as a software engineer, so I'm getting there. And uh, yeah, the nature is like I loved math in back in my high school days since I was a kid. So pretty much what Austin said about you know being in a place where I could actually use math. And then I ended up liking programming too. So this seemed like a perfect combination of those things. And you even get to do a lot more exploratory stuff and you can get into think something like predicting the future and having somebody take action based on the future you predict and also have a solid reasoning for how, how or why you predicted a future. I mean, how cool is that? In most other professions, do you really get to do that?
0: Yeah. I know what you mean, man. Awesome. Hey, well, let's open it up, guys. Let's let's take questions on any topic whatsoever. I, um, I mean, well, actually, Austin, like, what 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 draws you to to the field of machine learning? Because I mean, you can you can be working for any type of industry, any type of tech company, but what is it about uh, you know, machine learning in particular that you find really interesting?
4: Yeah, there's um, what I'm realizing, I think, is there's a few things. Like one is that uh, especially in the um there's just like a huge community focus um a a lot of people are really feel really dedicated to like helping each other out in in ways and sort of like this like rising tide lifts all boats sort of attitude i mean it's obviously very competitive and like we're we're all out to like advance ourselves but there's also this sort of like we do that by making it more explainable making all this stuff more explainable making it more transparent as we can Um, being creative about the way we think about use cases. And it's a, it's a field that is like growing so fast. So it's like, you know, there's all these kinds of like intersections with my sort of artistic past or my my more creative past, like generative art, um, text generation, like all these kinds of things I can find within it um, something that appeals to these different parts of me. Um, Like, I'm not a data scientist. I'm not uh, anyone who codes or anything like that. But I think those kinds of things the community part of it. And there's this like, there's room for creativity and generativity um, it's just evolving so fast. I think that's implicit in the in the
0: study of or the field itself, yeah, speaking of that, that uh, creative, like generative art part of it, I was reading my friend's book uh, earlier this weekend. My good friend John Crone, you guys might recognize John Crone. He's the host of the super uh, data science podcast. Uh, become pretty good friends recently. But uh, I was reading his his book. He's got some excellent chapters here. I was reading the chapter specifically on natural language processing because that's what I'm been interested in uh, recently. But Uh, Chapter three in this book talks about uh, machine art, so machine art. And it's it's really, really interesting Um, talking about GANs, like, you know, uh, and things like that. So code examples and everything Um, I thumbed through that chapter, but I was just like my mind was blown um, by, by how cool this stuff is. So, yeah, if you guys get an opportunity to check out John's book, man, John is awesome. He's got an amazing series on YouTube as well. That kind of goes uh, in depth behind the math and everything. So I do see some questions starting to roll in into the uh, chat. I know that Christoph, you had your hand up prior to uh, Marion, so we'll go to Christoph, then we'll go to Marion, uh, then we'll see any other questions that come in through LinkedIn or YouTube. I got my eyes peeled, you guys. We we got you taken care of. Go for it, Christoph.
1: So my my question isn't about data science. So if so, I can wait if uh, if other questions are more important than.
0: Now, yeah, uh, but de- definitely if you want to defer for sure, um, let's see what else going on. So Marin had a question here about data science position at Oracle. He wants to know if this is for real. I don't know if I should pull that up and put Oracle on blast uh, during uh, Comets office hours. But what was the uh, question? you
2: well, <laughs> <don't wanna>, actually, <laughs> I, I said just this morning, a couple of days ago, I did this search and they had like 1600 positions just for data scientists mm-hmm. in the United States. Wow on their website and then this morning i did the same search now there are three thousand and four hundred something jobs is it possible i mean this is ridiculous
0: to me uh so i'm not sure what the question was is it possible to that for there to be that much opportunity yeah definitely Uh, i think you're you're muted maryan
2: to have that many openings and to increase the positions in couple of days mm -hmm. actually.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is interesting. Uh, we we're talking about this um, on Friday during the artist data science happy hour with, you know, I had uh, had a bunch of friends on uh, Kenji was there, Vin, uh, Ben Taylor, Joe Reese and all of them. We're, we're talking about is data science dying or going anywhere. And no, it's not. It's just only going to increase more and more. Why? Because look at the world we live in. This is like the fourth industrial revolution, right? Where if now, more than ever, data is being generated at speeds that were impossible, you know, before we need people to go through that data and make sense of it, make meaning of it. You know, there's new products that can be developed, new things that could happen with all this wonderful data that's being collected. So I don't think I don't think data science is going anywhere. Um, I mean, and can a company have 3000 open positions? Yeah, definitely. Oracle is freaking massive. Um, but I definitely think it is absolutely possible, um, you know, for an organization that large to have that many open positions. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think data science is going anywhere. I, I only see um, data related roles just getting uh, proliferating more and more. Right? It might not be just the data scientist job title. I think you might start seeing more requisitions for data engineers, machine learning operations engineer. Um, data architects, machine learning architects, things like that. Um, just a set of skills where you need people to work with data, and build pipelines and systems that take data from the real world into some end use application and everything in the middle. Um, so definitely um, not going anywhere. Let's go ahead and uh, let's take this question here from Satish. Satish, my friend, go for it. And why, is there, why does it look like there's another Harpreet Sodha in the... Uh, In this room. That one's not me. Uh, So, Satish, go for it. Satish, you are muted. So, um, if you want to unmute yourself, go for it. So, it turned out that second Harpreet Sahota was actually Renata. (laughs) Uh, Satish, you are still on mute. I'll go ahead and I'll read the question out from Satish here. Uh, He's uh, doing PGP and AI ML in Great Lakes, still MNCs. Internally, not considering people who done with courses. Please suggest me how to get into a project when people expect real time experience. Um, so I'm not sure how to answer the first part of the question. I'm not sure I really understand the first part of the question. So, Tish, if you want to, uh, uh, if you want to talk to us about that, please do. But I mean, in terms of suggest how to get into a project when people expect real time experience, like I think when you see a job posting and the job posting is asking for experience. Not necessarily work experience. You can get experience on your own, right? Like you can build projects on your own, right? And you just develop experience through that. So, I mean, what project should you do? i'm I'm not sure. Like what are you interested in, right? Maybe you are interested in music, and maybe you have Spotify, and maybe you use Spotify tremendously. So then maybe you can build a small project where you're pulling data from your your own listening data from the Spotify API doing some, you know, transformations with it, putting it into some database, whether it's a cloud database, local database, and then doing some type of analysis with it. Right. I mean, you're only limited by your creativity, but I see Satish, you are unmuted. So I'll let you uh, go for it. Still cannot hear uh, anything from from Satish. Um, no, Satish, you're actually not audible. Um, so oh, go for it now. Maybe we can hear you try it again. Yeah, still nothing. All right. So, f- figure out your audio situation. We'll come right back to you. Uh, I see there's a lot of questions coming into the chat. But I guess uh, how to get into a project when people expect real time experience. Real time experience does not mean work experience. It could be experience on your own, um, and it's just a matter of building a project that you find interesting, right? That you would enjoy doing. That's end to end, right? Um, with respect to MNCs, not considering people who are done with courses. I mean. I've got comments on that. I don't know if I want to vocalize them here, um, but we can talk about that that later. Um, let's continue on with with uh, Marin's second question. Marin, go for it. And Satish, if you figure out your um, audio situation, do let us know.
2: Okay, my second question is a couple of days ago I had a chat with a guy who has started his own startup, and that's actually very common. Some startups offer unpaid internship. Uh, this one was three months. Uh, I don't know how to look at it. There, are sort of, it's a learning experience and the opportunity to <laughs> t- t- tag a company name that you're working at a company. But is it helpful actually? Let's say I'm transitioning from another field and trying to get into data science machine learning. And is it helpful in terms of helping you to get a sort of real job in another company, or there's better way? And the the other thing is sort of, it looks, it seems to me, I don't want to use the word, but I cannot find a better description. It's almost like exploitation. People like me in a position that they need real experience. And I think Satish also mentioned that, how do we get real experience? Uh, And I feel in a way that somebody is taking advantage of me. Uh, Am I correct? And first, is it helpful to, get a unpaid internship at the startup so that you can connect your startup career yes second,
0: so, yeah. yeah so if you're a student if you're in university yeah do unpaid internships if you need to obviously getting paid is better so if i had the opportunity ahead of me in front of me to either get paid or not get paid i'm always going to pick the opportunity to get paid and if getting paid means i keep my day job and work on something on my own on the side then you know i'll do that um, it, I wouldn't quit my job and go to an unpaid internship, I guess is is what I'm saying. So uh, that second point about that exploitation part, I mean, I've got no comment on on that. Um, you know, that's just no comment on that whatsoever. But like here's the thing, guys, like you can build projects. you can gain. Exp- this is the only field where you can gain experience by not having a job, right? To be an accountant, you have to actually work in an accounting firm. You have to work underneath an accountant. To be a financial advisor, same thing. you've got to work in a financial advising office. You gotta do all that stuff. But we live in a world where if you wanna break into this field, you can do it on your own by (laughs) building a project on your own. Data is everywhere. There's open data portals, right? There's APIs where you can get data for all of your wearable devices. It's up to you to leverage that to build a project that can showcase your ability to do the job and then apply for as many jobs as possible share your work with as many people as possible um i mean not to just promote myself i i'm developing a course currently called how to create a project that will get you hired that will be out in a few months but you can do it you just have to have just the skill and the discipline and the interest and creativity to make it happen right this is the only field i think where you can get real world experience without having a job like i don't know many other fields outside of software engineering, outside of data science, outside of this IT kind of realm where you can get experience like that. Um, So should you quit your job, take an unpaid internship, that choice is yours. Would I do it? Absolutely not. Um, I would rather just keep my full time job and work in the early mornings or late evenings whenever I have a couple of free hours on a side project just to develop my skill. Right. And then share that project with as as many people as possible talk about it as much as possible write articles about it Um, put it on your resume talk about it in interviews things like that Uh, i'm going to pause there and see if uh, you have any questions or comments and i'm monitoring all the channels right now there's a lot of uh, questions coming in so uh, i'll get to all of them marin go for it
2: uh just a quick follow-up i have sort of a little bit of experience when applying for job most of the companies in the requirement that you should have sort of two plus years experience in industry setting, industry environment, which means that you should have worked somewhere uh, as a data scientist or machine learning engineer, or whatever. So in that sense, uh, the internship gives you well, it doesn't give you the peers, but at least it says says that you're working at a real company that does data science or machine learning.
0: Yeah, so you could do this. How about Roundup? four of your friends in a distributed environment, right? And you guys work on a project together. That way you have to worry about version control. That way you have to worry about delegating tasks. That way you have to worry about managing people and dealing with deadlines and things like that, right? Create the environment for yourself. You can do that in this field, right? And any company that, that says you need two years of actual work experience, like, they're, and, and you're talking about this other experience you've got, they're going to be like, oh, okay, well, that's pretty much the same thing that we do here, except you were just doing it on the side for fun right um so if you're worried about real world work experience get three or four of your friends together you guys come together work on a little project where you guys have to worry about version control or you have to worry about data versioning where you have to worry about experiment management maybe you can use, use a tool like comet ml or whatever right and and make it happen right um somebody is asking a question here about uh business impact um how do you pick projects such that you can showcase business impact when you don't Really get access to real world data is everywhere, my friend. Go to an open data portal that is real world messy data, right? In terms of business impact, look, man, like if I mean. If you obviously it's going to be a little bit more difficult to show business impact if you're doing a personal project, but you can still frame the potential business impact of it, right? You can still talk about, oh, if this was deployed into the real world, here's the impact that it would have had. Here's what it would have done, right? You could still think about and conceptualize, okay, if this was in the real world, here's what I think would happen, right? You could still think about and hypothesize what the business impact is without actually having the business impact, right? Because that's what actually matters, right? Is the fact that you can actually think about, conceptualize, understand what the business impact would be of the work that you're doing, right? Because you're not just like doing randomized search just for the hell of it, right? You're doing it so you can find a model that's going to move the needle on some other metric right you have to tie your model metric to a business metric and you can still think about and conceptualize what that is going to be like um so all of these things you can you can what's the word i'm looking for you could uh, simulate in a project in a personal project um i'll stop ranting for right now let's see if there's any other questions um if anybody has a question go for it i think Stree had a question so oh austin go for it
4: yeah i just i wanted to say uh, following up on that point that i think that sort of uh work of specu- speculation or, or really thinking critically about business impacts it's like something that you could just build into your process of doing projects regardless of um what the answer is it's sort of like the way you document your projects the way you're writing either writing reports or doing something like that should always be like you think of it as like there's always be a section of the thinking that's done and the the crafting of the project that's done even if it's like you, you pull out two potential use cases and you just sort of explore them a little bit i think like that just making that part of the practice as opposed to um, attaching it on at the end is something you have to do just like make it part of your thought process in, in project building i've seen that um folks who do that tend to be more successful in tying all things together and making their projects cohesive and thoughtful from end and um, just from the, the the projects that i've seen and worked with before
0: yeah absolutely absolutely thank you very much austin um so yeah you like you know combine what austin was saying combine what i was saying and then think about the business aspect and and document it and just showcase that you are thinking about it. That You know, you can, you can not only can you code and think about data, but you can think about the real world impact implications. Um, Sari, go for it.
5: Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think um, we, when we talk about in this kind of related to the project um, subject as well, but when we talk about doing a project, there's often a lot of discussion about, it, especially if you're trying to, talk about the project in a resume. You're gonna talk about what the business impact was, um, what you hoped to achieve with the project. Um, In that regard, I had a specific question um, because my interest is specifically in healthcare. And from a previous job, I have experience in healthcare and I wanted to leverage that um, experience and that uh, knowledge and look for a project in the same domain. So I did find a dataset I think a year ago, and then I stopped working on it. Then I finished it recently, and I found another data set uh, kind of under but in the same field. So now I have two projects in that same field um, that are completed, and that mainly came from my interest in the field and kind of to expand on my domain knowledge and kind of use that and see how I can apply machine learning to that. Um, how do you go about addressing the business impact when it's it's not a business-driven project to begin with? The purpose of the project is more oriented towards um, uh, oriented towards whether you can apply machine learning in diagnostics, for example. So, how do you talk about something like that in a resume where everything revolves around I drove uh, x business, uh, I, I drove like x business objectives and earned the company x dollars like how how yeah. do you navigate that field
0: i mean who said everything has to revolve around that on a resume like where's that preconceived notion coming from like you could still use a star format you could still do situation task action result right result doesn't necessarily have to be a business result if you're not working in a business setting it could be a finding right or a pr- like, hypothesis okay like because i did this here's the result that i think might occur right you could still frame it that way on a resume right And if it's a personal take home project, right, like like the end business impact, I don't think really matters. You know, what matters is the way you think through everything you did right from conceptualization of the problem statement to gathering data, to cleaning data, to all the analysis in between, to how your analysis informed your choices for the model that you're going to develop, how you picked models. And did you consider the, the problems? that might occur if you were to deploy this model, how are you gonna correct for that, right? It's, you can still think about all that stuff and speak to all that stuff, even though it didn't really drive business impact, right? Um, like, is what I'm saying making sense, right? Like you're just focused on the real world business impact. Well, what about all the thought process that had to go through it? And if you can explain that and talk about that clearly in a interview, people are gonna be like, oh, okay, well, shit, this kid knows what he's talking about, cool, all right? Because you can put business result on your resume and then come to a fucking interview and the dudes would be like, and, and not know what the fuck you're talking about. And the dudes would be like, holy shit, man, this guy's a, a joke. He's just making shit up and putting it on his resume, right? Like, wh- wh- who do you want to be, right? Like, I'd, I'd rather pick the guy who, you know, when I press him and talk to him about these type of questions on, in an interview, he's gonna he's gonna show me that, yeah, I've thought about this. I've thought about that. And this is what I think might've happened, even though it wasn't really a business impact, right? Because at the end of the day, like you need to be able to think and communicate and show that you were thinking through this process from start to finish. Does that make sense? Yep. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, uh, your projects, it sounds like it sounds like if you were in an interview, you'd crush it because you thought really deeply about the problem space you're working with and the potential impact that could have, even though it didn't really go out to the real world. You still thought about what could happen if this thing was actually out there in the real world, which is important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my thought.
5: problem has been trying to get past the resume stage because if you're looking at a resume and someone's going to glance at it for five seconds before throwing it in the trash yeah
0: so let me let me, pause right there. let me pause you right there once you apply for a job and submit your resume do you just leave it at that are you i,
5: I try to find people on linkedin and try and best them but uh results I mean, are mixed
0: yeah so you've got to make sure you're targeting the right people right so go go to the company's linkedin profile look for the technical recruiter Look for people who are higher up, not just like uh, individual contributor data scientists, but somebody who looks like they've got some clout. They've got some say in the decision-making process. Reach out to them, point them to a project and connect to be like, oh, you guys in this company are doing this thing. Well, check this out. I've got a project that does this thing, which is very similar to the work you're doing or you know, is related to it somehow. Um, mm-hmm. Check it out. And by the way, I applied for this job. My resume is in the uh, system. If you get an opportunity to check it out, be happy to talk, talk more with you, right? Um, okay. And then it's just a numbers game. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, like, you need to have some expectations for every job that you apply for, right? Like realistically, like the moment you submit a resume to then um, reach out to somebody and, and try to get the process kicked off, any given job, you have like less than a 1% chance of landing that job, right? Okay. Realistically right so what do you do you make sure that you apply to as many jobs and you make sure that as you progress along the process for a job that you're updating your probability of landing that job based on your experience in the interview right and then you know for me personally any interview i go to even if i think i crushed it i still give myself no more than a 15 percent chance that this thing is actually going to pan out and i'll get a job offer now it's like okay cool well if it didn't work out great i i Assigned it this probability of not working out. So, whatever, I'm just on to the next one, right? It's just a matter of tempering your expectations and just making a numbers game because that's what it is, right?
5: It reminds me of a book. I don't know what something about thinking like thinking in bets. bets or, yes, oh, and yep, Duke. that's what it was. Yeah.
0: Thinking in bets. That's, uh, that book shook me to my core. That book changed my life. You should listen to the interview I did with Annie Duke. It is on my podcast. I did an interview with the author oh, is it? The book, Annie Duke. Yes, it is. Okay. So check that out. But yeah, that book. Uh, take yeah, changed my life. Shook me to my core. It changed the way I view the world because here I was, a statistician, somebody who loved probability theory, just never having it explained to me in that context. Oh my god, man, that book changed my life. I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend listening to the interview I did with her as well.
5: Sounds good. Thank you.
0: So, yeah. I mean, look, I mean, every time I hear people talking about the the struggles they have in the job search, I'm just like, dude, you guys are just making excuses for yourself. Just just do it and keep doing it, and keep doing it and keep doing it. Like like you have to improve and iterate through the job search process, and you do that by making sure you're doing mock interviews, making sure you're applying for jobs, making sure that your project looks good, right? Um, like there's no entitlement just for submitting a resume. Like nobody's gonna call you back just because you submitted a resume. You have to put in work to make it happen. Anything you want to have happen for you, you've got to put in the effort to make it happen. Um, so a lot of the stuff I see with people like complaining to me about the job search process. I'm like, dude, you just need to get out of your own way. But you have to, right? Um, sorry, hot take there. Uh, go for it, Satish. You wanted to speak on something about something, so speak
6: on it. Yeah, actually, so, uh, so since when I was in Accenture for the last two years, so I used to attend uh, some boot camps within company itself, like five days boot camp, three days boot camp. They so used to take on Kaggle dataset and like that. They used to explain even. They used to explain sometimes in uh, like Tab, Tab blue, Python, Tab Blue, and Python Azure, and even Azure ML, like this. So I went through all these kind of things. So I know end to end, like uh, what is the process, but but uh, now I changed to the TCS. So what happens, like, uh, even I put efforts, I know the entire process, right from like uh, preparing from portfolio, like by taking real life. Uh, data like
0: you uh, like, could see people, could okay like, but uh, do you have proof like knowing it is one thing but proof that you can do it is another thing so do you have proof that uh, you can do it
6: definitely i will do that, that, I that, okay. that. Then,
0: until <laughs> then bro like i can't open your skull and be like oh shit he knows all this stuff nah man you uh, need to show me you need to show me through a project right like if, if yeah. you're just like oh i took these courses i did these certificates why can't i get a job because man nobody can open your head and verify that you know something you need proof of work you need to. Uh, that is one thing
6: I really, I need to focus on. Definitely, I do that. Okay, that's second, not the. Second, that's
0: like the only thing you need to focus on if you want to get a job. That is the only thing you need to focus on is, okay, I know all these things. Let me now put it to work in the real world. Let me make this happen, right? And showcase it. So yeah, sorry, go on. Uh,
6: that is the first hurdle. That is the first hurdle. Okay, and second thing is, so within company, if you want to change, carry transition. Let's say I'm working on mainframes. So I want to switch into data science. Okay, you the to some courses, but they are expecting at least six months experience without getting into some project where actually data science projects are there. You cannot get that exposure. When, if you want to apply outside, go for interviews and face that, and once if you attend 10 to fifteen interviews, think this definitely you get questions, you can crack it. But people, they definitely like, uh, with the knowledge, we don't want people, we need people with the real-time, relevant experience. So that is what I could see in so many, managers, these people in my network, they used to post. And they're clearly saying we don't want people like this. We need people with relevant experience only. So that is kind of another challenge we can see these days.
0: Yeah, so where are you so, based out of? Where are you looking for jobs? At? Are you in India, looking for jobs in India? Yeah, India only. Yeah, dude, like I'm, I, I've know nothing about the Indian job market. Like I, I can't speak to it. Why? Because I mean, yeah. I, obviously I'm Indian, but I've never lived in India, never worked in India, never had to find a job in India. Like the advice I give is highly only relevant to the Western world because it's an entirely different value system. It's an entirely different culture. Not only that, like what's the population of India? Like one point something billion? That means proportionally you've got like 30 times the number of uh, applicants for any given role than somebody in the US would have, right? Um, So you got a lot more competition, man. Like shit's different over there, right? And I can't really speak to it. So what they want in India, bro, like I have no fucking clue. no clue whatsoever i'm speaking only from a north american standpoint western world standpoint right okay um so i don't know like i don't know what they want in india like i've seen the job applications for some of these things in india i'm like all right well you guys want you guys want hercules uh so
6: i'm also having canada PR in process so my aim is for canada only actually maybe if it picks from indian people like maybe in the next three to six months so Miami is for search in Canada as well. So, before that, I just want so first thing is I will focus on building portfolio with real time data sets end to end. And another thing is, uh, so like this another challenge here, India is it's quite difficult, like people like, uh, they are not welcoming people like this even within company itself, they're asking it. So, recently, I got an email for onsite for London, but they're expecting experienced people only. So, with this mindset, like people we can prove work right. I can say i can from right from on uh, data collection till deployment i can show them like this is how what i did but people when people are not ready that is very difficult to get into you, okay.
0: yeah like i said man i can't really speak to what, what things are like in yeah. india um just because like you literally have 30 times the competition as a u.s candidate would have and you have 300 times the competition that a canadian would have just because the sheer volume of people you have living there right and nowadays in india it's like okay before it has to be lawyer doctor engineer now it's like uh doctor, engineer, or data scientist. So everybody's trying to be a data scientist. Like I don't know, man, like I don't know what the situation is like there, so you're gonna have challenges to face there. Um, and you know, whether my advice applies to you or not, I don't know. Clearly, it sounds like you're having issues. so um I mean talk talk to Krishnayak, he might be able to help you out. Um, so uh, we'll just move because, on
6: because for experienced people like us, advantage is we have domain knowledge. We know how things will go from right from scratch until deployment, even for other technology as well. But still, this relevant experience is the only concern. this is what for experience people
0: end yeah, so like I said, um relevant experience is also a personal project deployed uh that you either is running locally or in a cloud and some server. that stuff counts um India, like I don't know, dude, I don't know what relevant experience counts uh, in India. Uh, Sri go up. You got a question?
5: Oh, um, yeah. I just wanted to, I I think you mentioned in one of your podcasts that you're American, but you live in Canada. Yeah. Um, Do you, have you noticed a difference in the uh, job market for data science in Canada versus America in terms of like what kind, what expectations they have? Are there any differences to begin
0: with? I I don't think there's a difference in the job market, Um, like in terms of expectations, what they're looking for. It's exactly the same um yeah so i don't think there's really much of a difference there's um probably less people in canada that are doing these type of roles and that's again just like the entire population of canada is like 30 something million which is less than california i think california itself has a greater population than all of canada combined um so there are a bunch of roles here in canada and you'll see them open for months on end just because they can't get anybody to 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 fill them um but yeah i'd say that the, the terms of what they're looking for exactly the same
2: okay just curious. Yeah. Quick follow-up. Yes. If you're in the States, can you apply for a job in Canada? Uh,
0: Yeah. So the, the way things work in Canada is in order for you to get a job in Canada, uh, in order for a Canadian company to offer a job to a non-Canadian permanent resident or non-Canadian citizen, that company has to uh, get what's called a labor market opinion, right? And because... I think it's the same thing in the US, right? Like you have a right or you have an obligation to to employ your own citizens and your own permanent residents before you look for out, outside people. Like you are obligated to do that as, as a country. Um, and so in order for a Canadian company to hire somebody from outside, they have to get this thing called a labor market opinion saying, you know what, we can't find enough Canadians to fill this role. So that, that's why we have to go and look for somebody uh, outside of Canada. And then from there, it's like the, you know, once they get that labor market opinion done, it's like a... Uh, a process for um for you know getting the the visa set up and all that stuff. Um yeah, hopefully that answers question.
2: So you're saying it's much more difficult. There are a lot of other obstacles that need to be uh...
0: Yeah. So uh w- when I came to Canada, it was I-, I was able to come in through what was called um, well there's this NAFTA agreement. And there's certain job functions that uh you can easily expedite your process of getting into to Canada. So for me, it was, you know, I was a mathematician, statistician and actuary. That was the class of uh, jobs that I fell into. Um, So that just made the process a little bit easier because I moved to Canada working as a statistician, by you know, pharmaceutical company. Um, So, yeah, but I mean, that might be changing now that we live in such a remote world. So, yeah, all right. So shout out to everybody else joining in. I saw admin uh, hollering at the the chat there in, in LinkedIn. Asha, what's going on? Good to see you again. How's your week been?
7: Not bad, not bad at all. Always awesome.
0: yours? Good, good. It's been a long, long week, man. Let me tell you, been a long week. A lot of uh, a lot of ups and downs. I'll tell you that much. um But yeah, dude. I mean, I get I get so worked up and 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 excited when it comes to me telling people that you have to take shit into your own hands and make it happen. uh So my apologies if I come off like really just like aggressive about this because I can't stand when people make excuses for themselves about things that they can make happen for themselves. Uh, So if anybody was out like, damn, this guy's really aggressive. It's because I'm aggressive about certain things in particular. Right. Um, But yeah, uh, that being said, Asha, what's going on? Any questions, any comments, anything you want to share with us
7: i think i have been missed better part of it i just got in
0: oh nice well, like i always
7: well, missed the good discussions
0: <laughs> it's always recorded and always shared so yeah yeah and no, i was just talking about uh you know you know how to how to get experience in that you know in this field you don't actually need a job to get real world experience because data is everywhere data is the real world um and you can always create real cool projects right like you should develop three projects only three projects right the one project should be a um, kind of a data engineering ETL type of project, and this project should be pulling data from um, maybe an API, right? And you get that data, and it comes in as like a JSON blob, and then you add structure to that JSON blob, and then you do some interest, you know, interesting transformations and you know feature engineering, whatever, and then you dump that into a database, maybe a cloud database or a local database, whatever, and just automate that process, right? That's one pro- type of project you should do. Showcase your data engineering skill set, right? Obviously, data engineering job is far more difficult than that. But at least as a data scientist, you should be able to pull data, structure data, dump it to a database, and automate that process so that it happens, you know, automatically. Um, the next type of project you should do is just like an end-to-end project where maybe you're deploying a small Flask app, right? And end-to-end meaning you start with raw data, go through the ETL process, do a modeling bit and then serve it um, whether it's locally or on, on the cloud somewhere um, and a the third type of project you do is just one that really dives deep into the area that you're most interested in sort of like your superpower right and your superpower can be anything right like if you are for example me a statistician um, or when i was transitioning into data science i was mathematician statistician that was my superpower so i did a project that was entirely focused on um, statistics and machine learning, classical machine learning. But if your superpower is software engineering, well, then you can really double down on that in a project. If Your superpower is, I don't know, product management. Maybe you could talk about how you build a project where you're really uh, framing the problem statement and business value of your project, right? So whatever your superpower is, whatever it is that you're most interested in, if it's NLP, do an NLP project. If it's computer vision, do a computer vision project. So on and so forth. Right. So those three type of projects and like that's really enough to showcase that you can do the job. Um, that is my firm belief. And I'm sure many other people would agree with me. And if they don't, then that's OK. Awesome. So shout out to everybody else in the room. So what's up? Uh, there's a question here on LinkedIn. Let me just go ahead and answer that uh, question is. How much big data and cloud computing play a role in data scientist job? It plays a big role for those jobs in which that is a requirement. Um, so yes, I mean, you should have some knowledge of it, right? You should have that in your toolkit. More importantly, you should be able to to learn that thing quickly as possible. I think that I mean, Kenji was talking about this on the happy hour the other day. More important than the actual discrete technical skill is the meta skill of learning, the meta skill of being able to um, pick something up. And if you need tips on learning how to learn, tune into the episode I released on Friday with the one and only Dr. Barbara Oakley, who had a course called Learning How to Learn, uh, the most popular course on Coursera. Um, uh, like Millions of people have taken that course. Um, and she wrote a book called A Mind for Numbers as well. Had an opportunity to bring her onto the podcast. Um, then a, another episode I did was with Scott Young, author of Ultra Learning. Um, so those two books combined will give you a solid framework on how to learn, how to uh, create small projects uh, for yourself. Um, it's enough self promotion. If everybody, anybody has questions, go ahead and let me know. Um, scanning all of the streams, don't see any other questions. Um, maybe I missed them, but if anybody has a question right here, let me know. Christoph, go for it.
1: Okay. So, just like I said, my question isn't about data science, but it's somehow connected. I'll uh, preach your creative person. I mean, you came up with ideas for podcasts, for this. Uh, mentoring sessions for content creator awards so i believe that you think uh, creativity is a skill like something that you can uh, improve it's like a muscle you can work on so my question is for you but it's for everybody how do you boost creativity how do you come up with new ideas do you have any habits for that or routines
0: yeah uh, that's that's an interesting question because the podcast i'm releasing next friday with the one and only james altisher the idea machine himself uh it's 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 going to be kind of covering that right so james altisher does this thing he calls um uh he has this thing he calls the idea muscle right and one of his practices is just writing 10 ideas a day every day um and just writing those ideas out and you know they don't have to be good ideas they don't have to be bad ideas just as long as you're writing ideas out and they can be ideas on anything It could be 10 ideas for You know, 10 ideas for my my next LinkedIn post, 10 ideas for a a headline, 10 ideas for what I want to eat for dinner, whatever, just 10 ideas a day. You just have to keep on flexing that idea muscle. And really, creativity is just combining things, right? Just combining different things together. Um, I'm reading this book right here, The Creativity Leap by Natalie Nixon. She'll be coming on the podcast um, soon. Uh, She sent me the book and everything. And I've got a copy of the book to give away as well. Um, We need to get it booked up, but yeah the creativity leap is a good book it's just it's it's all about connecting ideas and connecting dots that on the surface don't look like they make sense or belong together, but that intersection becomes powerful, so I don't know if that's answer your question or not Um, it's really just thinking about okay.
1: So it's like do just doing it like sitting like. Mm-hmm. having some time every day or every week, some blog just for sitting with a piece of paper or anything and writing down any ideas, like you you choose the topic you want to mm-hmm. yeah. create ideas about and yeah. you just do
0: it. Yeah, you need to create that that space, right? That space mm-hmm. and time for yourself to do it. And for me, it's you know just consistently every morning coming down here in this room, have this space and I just show up here whether I want to or not. And I just start doing things, I start writing, right? Like I I write every morning and out of that writing ideas come out. I'm like, okay, cool. That's a cool idea. Let me try that. Let me try that. Or just being just aware and open-minded enough to to really um, see things, you know, in in a different perspective. So if you want some good, really good tips on that, there's two episodes that I released that really, really touch deep on this. Uh, One of them was the interview I did with uh, Christian Bush, who wrote The Serendipity Mindset. Then the other one was, um, I forgot the name of that what i titled that episode um but if you look it up it'll it'll be there on my podcast and then one i did with uh near bashan we talked about creativity as a mindset so if you definitely listen to those two um interviews that i did and you'll get a good a lot of good insight into how to be more creative how to think creatively but it is essentially all about connecting dots that maybe don't look like they make sense giving yourself the time and space to think creatively and just being completely open-minded right um and just a lot of it is just Uh, not being afraid right like i I didn't care if people thought it was stupid if i did like the people's choice awards for data scientists like i'm gonna do it anyways and you know i'll reach out to kate and kate might think it's stupid and i might have to do it all my own but kate thought it was awesome and she wanted to do it and it worked out um you know okay
1: i see yeah Uh, just one question what kind of writing do you are you doing in the morning is it like journaling and that's when yeah ideas uh, come up
0: yeah, I do a few different things. So one of my big things is this right here called the artist's way Julia Cameron. So this is it's just it, it's just a bunch of blank pages, but it's three handwritten free form pages every single morning that I write. And just like a brain dump, uh, that's a big one. And then I'll have just um I have this little mini thing. Uh, and if I'm on a walk, whatever this is in my pocket, I'll just write ideas down um, and um, yeah. Just, just write in the morning it could be anything it doesn't have to be structured it doesn't have to be formal it's just whatever just whatever's in your head just write it out right and just let it flow uh, Austin let's let's hear from you on this
4: yeah I was um, as soon as you said this I was thinking of this I don't know if anybody listens to this podcast but the Ezra Klein show he does a lot of just like really cool interviews He's a great interviewer uh, political guy but does a lot of different ones and he had one with Jeff Tweedy the uh, lead singer of Wilco the band Wilco and uh, Jeff Tweedy was talking about how um, he'll he, he does it with words a lot where he just like really focuses on these like word couplings or, or phrases that really stick in his mind. And he takes those phrases and then he tries to t- pick apart why they're very interesting to him, uh, why these phrases like and he just does this sort of mapping around that uh, from what I can tell is like basically this phrase, what does that mean? And he just pulls on it and writes about it and, and teases out the connections, those unexpected connections because creativity is all about our previous things like association, right? It's all about making these unlikely connections, um, whether it's between words or um, a problem and a solution, whatever it is. So I think like building that part of your brain that's Making associations, even if it's you're going out on a walk and imagining what an animal is feeling or, or developing empathy, like all of these things can contribute to creativity because they're creating associations between what you're experiencing and what you imagine. And I think that's like a super important part of the process, whether it's through words or problems you're solving in your life, whatever it is. I think that's like
0: really, really important. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, there's some great tips there too. I, Just, ask. Yeah. So, I,
1: I love that about, about uh, thinking what animals is. Uh are thinking or feeling that I've never heard about it. And it sounds awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think a lot is also like Austin put it here in the chat. I really like this is just disconnecting process from the outcome. I think that is super, super important. Um, uh, just yeah, you just do it. Who cares what the outcome is going to be um, as long as you're focused on the actual doing it, the actual doing part of it, right? Um, so. There's some questions coming in here in the chat. It's funny. I think Kate joined in uh, on LinkedIn right at the moment where I'd like to mention her name, like she just summoned and appeared. Kate, what's going on? A um, couple of questions here in, there's questions here in the room. There's question on LinkedIn. Let's go to the question here in the room from So Soham. Soham uh, can't uh, join the video or chat due to network issues, but he has a question about how important do I think a U.S. or Canada-based uh, MS Degree to become a machine learning engineer from a software engineer. Is there any other way you can make it happen? Uh I I guess the question is, do I need to get a master's degree from the US or Canada to become a machine learning engineer? Um, I don't think so. I think you can pick it up on the side and learn everything that you need to learn. Um, if you're going for a research type of role, right? If you're going to to work at a a research organization, there you're going to definitely need to have more academic experience, right? Um, just because researching is a skill, the ability to research is, is a skill, and it requires somebody to be very, you know, self driven, and it requires somebody to be really disciplined and rigorous about how they go through something. And you don't get that in in undergraduate programs that much because you just kind of show up to school, take your exams and pass, whereas graduate programs in like masters and PhD, they're much more self led. Um, you have to do a lot of research on your own. It's more than just showing up and taking, you know, an exam. So if you want to be in a research type of position, I think graduate degree is going to be extremely important. Um, is the it does have to be from U.S. or Canada? Like I don't know. Maybe it sounds to me like you're again talking about India. Like I know nothing about the Indian job market. I know nothing about the job markets outside of the Western world. It's not even a comment on India because I don't I know nothing about it. It is an entirely different beast. Um, again, for the reasons that we discussed. Different culture, different value system, and you literally have way more competition. Um, so things are different. Asha, go for it.
7: No, my my question is very different from this. I'm going to pull towards something else. Um, I have a question. Um, when you're learning something, you come across a hard topic. Sometimes you just, you, you get, you just, you're stuck there. You're stuck there for days and days. How do you get past the hard things? How do you get back to normal learning when you get to the hard parts? I guess that's what I wanted to ask, because I've been hitting a wall. And when you get frustrated, you just leave it be. <laughs> that's
0: How what you're you? supposed to do, yeah. If you get frustrated, it be. Get up, Yeah, get up, walk away, take some time off and uh, think about something else or do something else. That's kind of what, what I would do. Um, so, because you got to understand, like during that frustrating parts, those parts that you're describing, that's actually where the learning actually happens, right? The learning doesn't happen when it's easy. Um, the learning happens in those difficult parts um so first thing is just don't put a time constraint on yourself right like oh man i gotta learn this thing and in, in, you know in three days otherwise it's useless um because it's just a process right um so just so this is kind of like my my learning plan for anything that i do right so for example like i'm learning natural language processing right now it's something that um, i've been really interested in because i'm sitting on a wealth of text data from the podcast right and my way of learning it is this I'll spend a week just reading through books, reading articles, just kind of getting a uh, putting the ideas in my head. Like, OK, this is what natural language processing looks like. Right. This is what it's all about at a high level. Just understand it superficially. And then I'll do a project. Right. And the project is just OK. How how does this thing fit together? I don't care about the in-depth bits of it. I don't care about the details of TFIDF or word embeddings or word to VEC or anything like that right now. I just want to see how things fit together. Right. How do I go from an actual corpus of text to a you know actual model that can classify it? How do these fit pieces fit together? And then I'll do that part. And then I'll go back from the very beginning and say, okay, great. Maybe I followed some tutorials and I've done some stuff and I've kind of patched t- something together, just to understand the workflow. Now let me go back and and dig in on okay, like what, what does TFIDF actually do? What are the different types of TFIDF? How, you know, how is how is my result going to change if I try this type of Uh, vectorization versus another type, right, and assess the impact on that. And if I don't understand like the nitty-gritty details of the math, I'm just like, okay, as long as I understand the explanation of it, right, like I don't need to understand the inner workings of it. I just need to understand the explanation for why this thing works. So for me, anything that I learn, I'm far more after the explanation, being able to grasp and understand the explanation for why it works rather than like the nitty gritty details of, you know, why is it that I have to transpose this and then multiply by the inverse? And then why do I have to take the determinant and then find the value of some Hessian matrix? I don't understand. Um, I really concern myself with that stuff unless I have to. As long as I understand the explanation, then I can dig deeper and deeper. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah,
7: yeah, yeah it does.
0: Yeah. Hopefully it makes sense. Uh, awesome, what about you? What's your process like when learning and if anybody else wants to share, I'd love to hear from you guys. Mm-hmm. Um,
4: it's a good question. My yeah, I think, I think I take that that point when you were making heartbreak And then I sort of um, will try to find someone to talk with about it. <laughs> I've always found that that's super helpful for me, because one of the things that gets a block- blocker for me, and this maybe is more general, but it's like if it's all in my own head um, or even all in my own writing. And I don't have anyone to talk to about it or talk with about a problem I'm like, facing um, in that broad sort of sense, in that connective sense, if I can find someone to sort of talk through things with, I just discover so much more about what I've actually and really thinking underneath the surface by like saying it out loud, hearing how someone responds, what questions they have. Because a lot of times you don't know the questions to ask until someone else comes in and like asks you the question that's like, oh shit, that's the one that I need to actually spend more time thinking about or we'll work it out right now. So I think having this collaborative mindset and 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 I think that's also really valuable when you're building your sort of portfolio and your skin your and your uh, preparation for job interviews and things like that is that sort of collaborative thing as well um, where you're working on problems with other people so I think that's um, that's what I would say in, in addition to what Harpery was saying which I think is a really good point.
0: Christoph, go for it
1: and I also agree and <clears throat> I also uh, I'd like to add to try to make some analogy to what you're learning with something you already know because that's how you can foster learning. I mean, you, you can get the, the idea of how it's working. And also, don't worry if, you, if it takes too long, because what's too long? Well, you, you don't know it, because some things we learn are really, really difficult. And if you don't get it after two or three days, it, it, it happens. And I, I think we, we've all been through something like this. And so just don't pace yourself that after three days, you should have already understood it. And if you don't, it means that something, something wrong with you. It's not, it's just so difficult. And if you get a chance, just try to talk to others about it because it helps really. Because when, when you try to explain it, I mean, you could talk to someone who doesn't have any idea about it and just try to explain how you understand it and you can come up with some uh, explanation of things you didn't understand until that moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's where all the learning happens, man, that that hard phase, that stuck phase, that's where, and you know, like, like Christoph was saying, if you have to go back over it, if you have to restart, go for it, right? Like, it's completely okay. Like, another example from my personal life, right? Like, professionally, I was talking about doing NLP, but also, like, I just been really, really interested for some reason in, like, um, uh, You guys don't think I'm crazy, but like quantum mechanics, many worlds, theory, things like that. So I've been listening to a book from David Deutsch, uh, The Fabric of Reality. And like I've had to listen to the first chapter like three times and like on like 0.8 speed because it's so like crazy. My mind is being blown every minute I'm reading it. And so I supplement that reading with, okay, let me go watch, you know, interviews with him. Let me see what he's saying about it. Let me find people who have podcasts that are talking about his stuff. Like for example, like when I was reading Nassim Taleb stuff, um, I found some dude who did a podcast that just broke down everything that Nassim Taleb was talking about, and you know, easier digestible kind of pieces. And um, yeah, and it's 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 crazy. Like I wrestle with those ideas. It's tough. It's challenging. But I don't really care about understanding the details of it. I just care more about the explanation. Like, can I understand the explanation? Right. Because um, that's what really I'm going for when I'm learning something is I just want understanding. You know, I'd rather understand um, explanations and why things are happening than like the actual nitty gritty of it. Go for it, Asha.
7: Now I was just going to add if you need a quantum mechanics tutor, I volunteer.
0: Really? Are you into that stuff?
7: It was a few of the units I did. Yeah.
0: Nice. All right. Well, we're gonna have to have some chats because this stuff is wild. It is insane. Uh, I was watching this documentary last night with it was. It must have been like 30 years old. I think it was from nineteen ninety two. It was a BBC documentary with David Deutsch while he was writing his book, The Fabric of Reality. And he was talking about uh, interference patterns and, and wave interference. And like I was just like, what? What is going on? That is insane. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll definitely chat. Uh, are you familiar with David Deutsch's stuff? Like have you read his book, The Fabric of Reality or Beginning of Infinity?
7: No, but I should. I read what I had to in, in terms of class notes because it was a few units. I did two of those units. Yeah. So I had to pass them.
0: Yeah. Stuff is so crazy, man. And like, like, uh, so uh, for me, like, I, it's going to be difficult for me to understand quantum theory or quantum mechanics from the physics point of view. But I'm like, I, I can understand it from a probabilistic sense, right? So I'm understanding something from my frame of reference that's kind of tangential to it, that is coming at it orthogonally, perpendicularly, right? Um, Because because how because of how deeply I understand probability theory, it helps me understand quantum mechanics, the explanations of it a little bit more. Right. So that's another thing you can do in your learning when you're stuck on something is try to use what you already know and understand it from that perspective. That makes sense. All right. Any other questions? There's a question here on LinkedIn. from Manish saying, uh, have a fear of showing my skill. I'm learning a lot of stuff from the internet but not in the right direction. Wanted to become a demand planner and expert in time series forecasting. Any suggestion? Uh, stop being scared to show your skill. Uh, that's one thing and just do a lot of projects, man. Like that's how you get more confident. Like that's gonna be my answer to everybody for everything how do I get a job in days and nights do a project how do I get a job as a machine learning engineer do a project why because the doing is where you learn the learning happens across iterations it happens across the many many iterations that you do the thing um you know that's that's what it's like because the world very easily gives us the opportunities to do the same thing over and over and over and over again if you were to if I was the um you know got a corner grocery store here if I was the owner of the corner grocery store and I had to use my time, would I just stock my shelves the way they are and just do that over and over? Or would I experiment? Would I maybe switch up the order of things that I stock the shelves? Would I change up the signs that I have outside? Would I switch up the marketing? Would I experiment with different pricings, right? To see what works. Um, so the experimentation and the iterations, that's where the learning happens across that. Any other questions? Or I don't see anything else coming in through twitch nobody ever watches on twitch it's like one viewer and it's me doing my own thing uh the people watching on youtube are silent and looks like linkedin has no questions last opportunity for questions from anybody here go for it if you guys have a question now's the time my friends did
7: you ever learn how to play the guitar you said you were going to learn
0: <laughs> it's still sitting there i no, i have I have not i have not no no guilty as charged guilty as charged um, but I do like, I'll, I will like kind of strum along on it. Like, for example, when I'm frustrated or when I'm stuck, I, I just go to that thing and I'll play like, I'll play like G to C to D like, yeah, or some power chords or try to mimic some Green Day song. Uh, so I'll do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's mostly there I've got that thing there and I've got this right here that I've. So these are things that I do when I'm stuck. So here's, I got this like this Rubik's cube, that's like multi-dimensional Rubik's cube and I'll try to like play with it, put it together, things like that. Or uh, this is kind of like my go-to when I'm stuck is to play around with this. Um, Yeah, because when you're stuck, you need that ability to let your mind wander. If you wanna get into neuroscience of it, right? There's, um, I don't don't know much about neuroscience. So if anybody is listening on LinkedIn and it's it's like this guy has no clue what he's talking about, it's because I'm just regurgitating what I've learned from other people. but like there's, you know, this and Barbara Oakley talks about it in, in our interview as well, like the diffuse mode of thinking. Right. So where you are not entirely focused on something, but it's your, your back, of your mind, your subconscious is kind of wrestling it over while you're doing a different task. And then all of a sudden you'll notice the idea pop up or a breakthrough pop up and um, it starts connecting and making sense. So the more frustrated you are, the more you take that as an indication that you need to get up, walk away, do something different. All right. No other questions or comments or anything from anyone. Appreciate everybody joining in. Everybody on LinkedIn, uh, everybody here in the room with us. Christoph, go for it. Just a quick
1: question, uh, because when, when you've got, does it help uh, when you you've got this Ruby cube? Because I believe this diff, diff, diffused mode is supposed to uh, let all the focus focus go, and when you do some. When you uh, when you're solving uh, solving some kind of puzzles, you're focused on on them. It's like playing chess. Isn't a good way to go to diffuse mode because you're focus focusing on playing chess. So I'm just curious if that's really
0: helped. Yeah, I mean, it just helps to just stop thinking about the thing that you're thinking about. That's that's kind of like the 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 goal of it, right? So like this, like I wouldn't say, like, I'm like fully focused on solving this. I'm just like kind of like just thinking and, you know, working on it. um, Not really focusing my attention entirely on on this thing. Um, So that's kind of how I use it. Like I'm not like intently focused on like I've, I've had this for months and I still haven't been able to put it back together just because I'm like playing around with it. And, you know, being tactile and, and having fun with Got it. it. Yeah. Awesome. So looks like there are no other questions or comments. Thank you, everybody, for joining in. Appreciate you uh you know been a lively discussion like i get hyped up so so like i get crazy man when it comes to getting shit when it comes to like getting after what it is that you want to get done and you know people make excuses for themselves i will not tolerate it i say just do it make it happen um that being said guys take care remember you've got one life on this planet why not try to do something big cheers everyone